Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm excited to be here. I haven't preached in a good while, so buckle up. I'm excited. Um, um, you can probably tell. I'm already ready. Um, I'm excited to see everybody. Um, one thing that, that I want to start off saying is you might be a little surprised, but I am going to preach a Father's Day message today in preparation for Father's Day next week. Originally, when uh, Pastor Ben asked me, he said, Jacob, would you like to preach? I said, yes. And he gave me a couple of dates, and I picked next week, and I couldn't get it off for work. So I said, please let me preach the Father's Day message anyway. And he said, sure. So we're going to have a nice little Father's Day prep. Uh, So today, we're going to talk about pecans, trains, and roadmaps, attributes of the Father. All right? But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. God, we love you. Your presence changes lives. Your power moves us to new places. And who you are makes us whole inside. God, without you, we can do nothing. Lord, I pray that even now as we begin to open up your word and, and, and study, that you would begin to grip our hearts. Like it says in the Old Testament, Lord, would you rent the heavens and come down and quake the earth. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, happy Father's Day. Right? Right? Cool. Hey. Oh, well, thank you there. Yeah, I have three little boys. They are five, three, and one. So our house is loud um, and busy and exciting and filled with awesome things. Um, You know, my goodness, who knows what's going to come out of their mouth? I can't tell you. It's just, it's incredible. Um, But anyway, one day we were at my uh, father-in-law's house, I guess not that long ago, maybe a few months ago, we were having a crawfish boil, or maybe it was crabs, probably crabs, because it was was a while back, and that's Amanda's favorite. And after we had eaten our fill of the delightful crustaceans, we were having uh, dessert and just kind of drinking coffee, and uh, Mr. Harry started talking about his pecan trees. He has a a place out in Plosheville um, where he's got a pecan orchard. And he started to tell me that, the, um, that he used grafting to make the pecan trees grow a certain way. And, which kind of intrigued me because it, it, it brought back into my mind a couple of pictures. And Well, let me tell you about that. So basically what he has is he's got this, this large group of pecan trees. I don't know if we can see the pictures. Um, they should be coming up here in a second. But um, that is the pecan orchard many, many years ago. And what that is, is it's a native pecan tree, and inside of that pecan tree, you kind of cut down, and you can graft in a different type of pecan tree. The ones he uses is called a Sumner. I think I'm getting that right. Um, you know, and then it will take root, or it will take life from the rooted tree and begin to grow. To me, that was pretty interesting, but I thought, why would you do that? What's, what's the point of that? And, and I, after talking to Mr. Harry, it's really interesting that instead of taking 30 years or 10, 20 years to produce good fruit, those trees that are grafted in begin to produce fruit in just two years. And flip, look at these trees now. Isn't that awesome? So they've grown over time. And then let's see the next picture. Um, these are some of the pecans. They make just beautiful, beautiful pecans. And, um, and those pecans can go on to make all sorts of amazing things. And I'm going to put in a shameless plug for what I love with pecans. There is a woman in this church named Eloise Alvarez. 
If you ever have the blessing of looking on your seat or looking at a, at a, at a church picnic or a potluck and you see a little white tub that's about this big, if you see that, whatever's in it, you want it. I'm just telling you. But every once in a while, I get blessed with a little white tub. And inside that little white tub is the most delectable dessert called a pecan praline. And I just I love them. And that is what the fruit is all about. And so when I heard that story about the pecans, it really, it brought me back to a scripture verse in Romans eleven seventeen. And this is what the scripture says. It says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. Now, some of those words may not make a lot of sense off, off the bat. But as when it talks about Gentiles, it's people that are not of the Jewish faith. And for a lot of us in this room, that's us. That's me. You know, and Paul is saying that I was grafted in to the promises of the people of Israel. It says, so now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So what does that mean to me in 2020 as a believer? It means that every promise that God spoke to the people of Israel, every awesome thing that he speaks in Isaiah, everything that he speaks through the prophets that's a promise to the people of God now applies to me. Man, that is breathtaking. It's incredible. And so one of the things that I want to talk to you about today, we're going to talk about three attributes of God, the Father. The first thing we're going to talk about today is that God is a father to all nations. We have been grafted into his promise through the promise of Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on, somebody. That's got to wake us up. That's exciting. And what does that mean? Let's look at Isaiah 55. I'm going to read one of my favorite scriptures to you. Now, it's a lot, so buckle up. Here we go. But listen to what the promises that are given to us. Now, if it wasn't for Christ, if we weren't grafted into his family, if we weren't that little Sumner pecan, this wouldn't apply to us because it's written originally to the people of Israel. But thanks be to God that we're grafted in, that he is a father to all nations. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without price. Why do you spend your money for that what is not bread and your labor for which does not satisfy? Listen to me diligently, eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. He loves South Louisiana, obviously. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Okay, hold on, I gotta stop there. When we know Christ, our soul can live. Come on. I've been there. I've been tired. I've been frustrated. I've been exhausted. But with Christ, through the power of the gospel, my soul can live. Are we, are we excited about this? That is awesome news. And it applies to me because God is a father for all nations. And I will make with you. Oh, it gets even better. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast. Sure love for David. 
Behold, I made him a witness to all peoples and a leader and commander for my peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that you did not know shall run to you. Hey, that's us again. We are the nation that was unknown. And because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. May he have compassion on him and, and, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Man, man, thank God that he forgives my sin. Thank God that he pardons it, makes it like it wasn't even there. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, even when I don't deserve it. It doesn't make sense to me. But God's thoughts are bigger than my thoughts. This is awesome. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be as it goes out from my mouth and it will not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led in peace. I need some joy in my life. Anybody need some joy right now in the quarantine time? Come on. This, Jesus is better than a TikTok dance. For real. Alright. He gives us peace in quarantine. He gives us peace when everything is different than we thought it would be. Because we're grafted in, man. Because our source comes from the root. Our source comes from Christ, who comes from God the Father. And it's for all nations. Sorry, I just, a little aside there. Um, the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, and instead of a briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make the name of the Lord an everlasting sign, and it shall not be cut off. Man, that's good stuff. It's a lot of scripture, but it's a super incredible promise that is ours because God is a father to all nations. So that's the number one thing I want to talk about today, that we all get that. It doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your color, your creed, your nation, your background. God is a father to all people. Amen? All right, let's look at another verse just to reiterate that really quickly. Isaiah 56, 6 through 8, powerful verse. It says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, he's clear, every person. They come to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. Anyone who's trying to follow God, anyone who comes to God, anyone who comes to Christ, no matter where they're from. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful. There's that word again, by the way. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. I think that's important. I think that's just a little aside. Guys, it doesn't matter. God can bring us joy in the the midst of difficulty. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Or other translations say all nations. Do you know the one, one of the times that Jesus got really worked up 
is he goes into the temple and he just thrashes it. It's pretty astounding to take a look at that. But he says, my God's temple, my house is a house of prayer for all nations. So again, God is a, is a father to all nations, to all people. So speaking of all nations, it kind of reminds me of a, of a time in my life. I used to live in a tiny island nation of Singapore. And I'm going to tell you a story about the next attribute that I saw in God, or that I see in, in the Spirit of God, and that is that God is a God, a Father that is full of tender mercies. God is a Father of tender mercies. In fact, before I get to my story, I want to tell you a couple of scriptures in the Psalms. Psalms 25, 6 says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. They have always been part of your character. Psalms 40, 11, Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. Psalms 51, David had been uh, found to be in sin with Bathsheba. He had fallen. He says to God, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Tender mercy, what an interesting phrasing. We don't use that a lot. We don't hear that term very often. But at least ten times in the Psalms, David refers to God to have that. And so, that being in mind, I want to talk to you about what I think tender mercy is. So I was about 14 years old, living in the tiny island nation of Singapore. And one of my favorite pastimes there, there's a place called the Night Safari. And what that is, is a nighttime zoo. And I've told this story a long time ago, some of you may have heard it. But it's a nighttime zoo. So all the animals that would be asleep are awake and active. The lions are like roaring. The tigers are prowling around. Anyway, it's, it's, it's an incredible experience. You go, I think it starts at about 9 o'clock at night, whatever night falls. It goes all night. So, of course, any teenager is going to love it and think that it's awesome. Um, I remember we were going one night and my dad had invited some of his co-workers to come. Uh, it was their family. They had a, a son and a daughter. The daughter happened to be about 13. I don't know if you remember the beginning of the story. I was 14. I think you can start to make the connection here. I'm very happily married to a wonderful woman. But when I was 14, I was not. And at 14, I just thought, oh, man, what am I going to do to impress this, this, this person? I'm so excited because I'm 14 and, and, and she's a girl. There's just not much more that needs to happen there. And so we're getting ready to go. And, and one of the exhibits is um, you go on this train and you go throughout the night. I don't know if the picture's up yet. Yeah, these are called tapers. This is actually where it happened, the event that's going to happen. I just so happened to find a picture of the location. Um, it's marked in my mind. You're, are you on the edge of your seat yet? You should be. All right, so we're on the train. And as teenagers do, they discuss what could be done on this train because obviously seeing wild animals at night in the middle of the night is not exciting enough. So we've got to make it more exciting. And my brother, I don't know if you know my brother. He's awesome. He's my, one of my best friends. I just love him. He's incredible. But he's always been an adventurous soul. And we, the idea comes up, yeah, I wonder if we could get off this train and get back on it before anybody would notice. So we go to a place, we stop, we're looking at animals. 
And my brother jumps off and jumps back on. Oh, you know, chills run down my well-behaved spine. If you know anything about me, I was not that kid. We go another couple of steps. Then the girl does it. Oh, oh man. All right, well, I'm 14. (laughs) She's 13. So then I'm like, okay, I know how I'm going to handle this. While the train is moving, I'm going to jump off, walk behind the train, and jump back on. This is going to be great. And I accomplished my task. Feeling pretty good? Now, aside, Singapore is in Asia. It is an honor and shame culture. If you don't know what that is, that would be a long time to explain, but honor and shame are the the main factors in, in action there. So, all of a sudden, the train stops. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry for the delay, but the boy in the back of the train actually got off the train and walked and got... I cannot believe he did this. Now, there's like a hundred Singaporean people on this train. Okay, maybe not a hundred. But there's a bunch of Singaporean people on this train and everybody goes... And my parents' eyes are searing right at my brother. Because they knew it wasn't me. Because Jacob wouldn't do that. I was 14. There was a girl. So then we, um, we stop and we get off the train. And my parents walk back. And obviously there's a, a bit of concern in their eyes and they started to talk to my brother and everybody went and it was me and I owned up to I said I'm so sorry and I just cry tears everywhere like want to throw up because I'm I'm raised in this intermixed honor shame culture it's still in me I can't it's just part of who I am and so I felt so ashamed I felt so I was just I didn't know what to do and so, at that moment, my parents had a choice. They could have ground me into the dirt, and I would have never been the same again, because it was a shameful event. Or, they could be tender, and have the tender mercy of the Father. And that's what they did. You know, it took them hours, probably while we were at the zoo, to make me normal again. But... They just, they kept, it's going to be okay. It's all right. We forgive you. And we're going to move on. And the only person who ever brings it up is me. Because I, now, right at this moment, I'm bringing it up in front of a bunch of people. But the reality is, that was powerful. As a father, as a mother, as a parent, as an uncle. If you have a child... You have the opportunity to be tender in your mercies. See, there's a difference between, oh, I forgive you, you're good, go ahead. And restoring a child. Restoring someone. Hey, it's going to be all right. We're going to work through it. And that's the tender mercy of God. That's what David was talking about. That's what David felt. That's what David knew after he sinned. He knew that he could trust in the tender mercies of God. And thank God for that. Because I need that in my life. 
Thank God that he's tender towards me. Amen? So here's the cool thing about the tender mercies of God. In, um, we're going to skip ahead for just a second for the guys with the slides. But in, um, in the book of Colossians, you know, in the book of Colossians 3.12, this is what it says. It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on the tender mercies, the kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus... I am called to be tender. Now that may not fit our culture. That may not fit your family background. That may not fit what you were raised under. But we as Christians are called to do that. And to be tender and merciful to those around us. Now as a quick aside. The only way you ever get a chance to show mercy. Is when you've been unjustly wronged. So it's really uncomfortable to be merciful. Really uncomfortable. And sometimes I'm not merciful. And sometimes I'm certainly not tender. Thank God that he has mercy for me when I'm not merciful. Right? So I'm not, I'm not trying to put a yoke on you that you can't bear. The reality is that God has been merciful to us. And he's tender to us. And he calls us to respond that way. And he's going to give us the strength to do that. Amen? Alright, so let's, let, let me talk about the tender mercies of God for one more minute. And then we'll, we'll move on. I'm just going to read it quick. We don't have a ton of time. But um, I want to talk to you about the prodigal son. I want us to see the way that the father in the story looks at his son. Let's just, let's just read. Well, I'm just going to tell you about it real quick because I don't have time to read it all. Because I want to talk about some other things. But in this story, we've all heard it, right? Most of us have heard the story in Luke. Ben actually preached about the lost sheep, which is right before the parable of the lost son. He talked about it last week. He said that the love of God is a God who seeks, right? I love that point in his message last week. But I want you to see what, what happens with the prodigal son. The son is, is frustrated. He, he wakes up one day. He says, I want all that's due to me. He, he tells his father that. He says, give me what, what my share of the inheritance. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. Surprisingly, the father does it. He divides up his estate and he lets one of his sons go off into distant lands. Now, what happens? He squanders it, right? A famine hits the land. And Jesus is telling this story. A famine hits this land and he has no more money. So the son says, well, I need a job. He ends up getting a job feeding pigs, which is detestable. To the, to the Jewish people. It would be detestable to him. But he's doing it because he needs to survive. And he says, okay, I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going back to my father. I'm going to tell him I'm no longer worthy to be his son. I'm going to be his slave. I'm going to just live as a hired servant. And at least I'll have food to eat. So he goes and he does that. And then let's read the section that, where he actually comes back to his father. I'm going to pull it up here in just a second. Okay, verse 20 of Luke 15, it says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. First off, that tells me that he was waiting for him. 
because he was so far away. The father was looking for him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's ready to put his plan into action. The father cuts him off. Doesn't even allow him to finish that thought. It's not even a possibility. And this is what the father does. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Look, he didn't even let him say, I'm not going to be your son anymore. Wasn't even a thought in the father's mind. Truly tender mercy. Isn't that awesome? So number one, God is a father to all nations. Number two, God is a father filled with tender mercy. And the third thing I want to talk to you about this morning is that God is a God who walks with us and he guides us. He's a God who walks with us and he guides us. It's been a crazy couple of months, huh? God's not unaware. It's been a crazy couple of months, but he's been in it. His peace is still real. His hope is still real. His, his provision is there. He's with us. He will walk with us. You know, as you know, I'm an ER doctor. Um, and one of, the, one of the scriptures that I often share with my patients, I've seen people come into the hospital in the most unimaginable circumstances. And the one scripture that I, I, I always share is Psalms 23. It's, it's something that we most of us have memorized. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And there it is again. He restores my soul. You see the theme that's just kind of woven through the interactions of God the Father? He restores the soul of those from all nations. He restores those who are lost and broken. He restores those who are going through difficult times. It's just who he is. It's just who he is. He leads me on the paths of righteousness. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's with me. He doesn't let me walk through the valley of the shadow of death and hope I do okay. He doesn't send me through the valley of the shadow of death and hope that I had enough scripture memorized so that I can make myself get through it. He doesn't say, and if you go to church enough, then boy, you're going to make it through. He says he walks there with me. Come on. Whew. I'm not alone in this. No matter what my circumstance. And I pray that with my patients frequently. Because, because in their moment of crisis, it matters that God is with them. It matters to me as their doctor that God is with them. It matters to me as a person that God is with them. And no matter what circumstance it is, he's with us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So not only does he walk with us, and, and I'll tell you what, um, I recently read a book called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. Anybody read that book? It will mess you up. It is a wonderful, wonderful book, and I challenge you to read it. I challenge you. I would write it down. It, the Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. It is, 
It is an incredible picture of the story of God in the world of the persecuted church. And over and over and over again, God is with his people in the most extreme circumstance. But not only does he walk with us when we go places, he leads us to new places. That's exciting. That's exciting. Because here's the thing, as a father, I believe God has plans for us. Do you believe that? Come on. Are you excited about what God has for your life? Is he speaking to you about what his plans are for you? If you ask him, he will. And that's a beautiful thing. I remember one day, um, somebody asked me, they said, they said, Jacob, if you had all the money in the world and all the favor of God in the world, what would you do? And this was when I was back in El Salvador, when I was still working on the mission field, loving my job, loved everything that was going on in my life. Things were great. I was married to, to Amanda. Everything was awesome. We had a, a great youth ministry. Things were exciting. And before I could think about it, the, the words came out of my mouth. Oh, I'd go to medical school, become a doctor, and use that to serve God. And I thought, well, I guess I better go think about that. And so we did. And God gradually began to lead us and guide us in this path. And why do I tell you that? Because I'm not saying just because you like something, it's God's call for you. That is definitely not what I'm saying. Just because you like to eat food doesn't mean you're called to be a chef. I can attest to that. I promise. Come to my house and eat my hamburgers. They will not taste good, but I love to eat. Okay? I am not a good cook. But what I am saying is that the desires that God places in you and the direction that he leads you is important. And as a father, he leads us. And fathers in this place, mothers in this place, parents, your, your job, your goal is to lead your family to do the things of God in today's world. Right now, not a one day. Not one day when my kids are older will they learn to pray for the nations. Not one day will my kids learn. No, we do it together. We pray together. We think together. And we pray as a family. How can we impact our community now? And that's my prayer today, is that God would begin to lead us as family units. Lead us no matter where you are in life. If your kids are grown and gone, what's he calling you to do now? If your kids are young like mine, I pray he gets you through it till they get older. And, and, and if he does, what's he doing in the now? What is your family called to do? What are you, if you're single, what are you called to do right now? How are you called to impact the world around you? Well, God leads his people and he walks with them. Amen? I have some favorite scriptures I want to share real quick and then we're going to move towards closing, unfortunately. I could go for hours, man. I tell you but um psalms 32 8 is a beautiful scripture i want to read that to you this is the one i have engraved on my stethoscope it says it says i will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go and i will counsel you with my loving eye on you so here's the deal god has a plan Not just for the macro phase of your life. He has the plan for the day to day. And he will lead you with his loving eye upon you. And his love is good. 
His mercy is good. His truth is good. Let's feed on those things like the scripture says. Another scripture that I I often have in my office. I don't have it right now because I couldn't get a a sticky thing to put it on the wall. But it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Isaiah 32, 10 says, Whether you're to turn to the right or the left... Your ears will hear a voice behind you and they will say, this is the way, walk in it. Right? Right? Just think about the the incredible direction that God has for our life. Um, You know, but let's get practical about it. How do we really do that? Because life is busy and it's long and there's lots to do. So what does it really look like to be led by God? I think one thing you can do is ask yourself the same question that somebody asked me. If you had all the favor of the Lord on your life and you had all the resources available, which you do as a believer, what what would you do? How would you impact the world? Begin to dream. God puts dreams in people. That's one of the ways you can can think about it. But what does it really look like? It's going to be through his word, he's going to speak to you as you read the scriptures, as you pray, and as you obtain wise counsel. That's how you're going to end up not open in a restaurant if you're a terrible cook. God's not calling you to do that. I am not called to open a restaurant or a coffee house. I love coffee, but that's not my calling. I love to eat. That's not my calling. And people would tell me that. That's wise counsel. You know what I'm saying? So how does it look like to hear his voice. So a lot of times I think as, as believers we talk about these things. But we don't always talk about the practical steps. And um, I learned a long time ago from Brother Gary Crump. One of my mentors who's now passed away and is with the Lord. How to hear God's voice. And this is what he told me. He said, Jacob, the first thing you do is clear the air spiritually. If there's sin in your life, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to confess it. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect to hear from God. It just means you have to be honest with Him. God, this is where I'm at. This is my struggle. This is what's happening. God, forgive me. Make me clean. If there's, you know, if you haven't been spending time with the Lord, He knows. You can be honest with Him. God, I haven't spent time with you. Lord, forgive me for that. Make me whole. God, I've harbored unforgiveness and anger and frustration towards this person, that person, or the other. You can't hear from God if you're bitter. It just doesn't work like that. But the cool thing about it is he can, he can remove the bitterness. And not only will you hear his voice, you'll also be a happier person. Come on now, somebody. Right? You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to. So clear the air spiritually. And the second thing we do when we really need to hear the voice of God, and, and you do, and I do, for the macro and micro direction of our life, where we're going in the long term and where we're going in the short term. It's very profound here. Listen. We have to stop. Now, I know that seems silly, but, but we are some busy people, even in quarantine. I don't know how that happens. But we're so busy. We're so busy. A lot of it's busy like this. But we just have to stop. And we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And it means sometimes we have to be quiet. And then... Once he speaks to our heart, we have a time of worship. 
Because there's so much to praise God for. He's made my soul whole. He leads my life. He's for everyone. You know what I'm saying? So today, we're going to close now. And what I want us to reflect on is a few things. I want us to reflect on what it means to know that God is a God for all nations. He's a Father for all nations. How does that apply to me? How is that going to move me? And how is that going to change my actions? Okay, so that's one thing we're going to pray about today. Number two, God is a Father that is tender and merciful. And I want us to think about that. How does that apply to me? Am I a merciful person? Is that an area that I need to work on? Am I tender with my children? Am I tender with my parents? Am I tender with the people around me? Sometimes I'm not. And I need to be. Thank God he's tender towards me in that area. Thank God that he has mercy. And then the third thing is I believe that God is calling every person and every family in this place to walk in his purpose. And he wants to lead you. He doesn't want you to just live 75 years, 80 years on this planet, 90 years on this planet and be done. He wants us to walk every day, whether you're a child, a teenager, or you're one of our seniors that is is a leader in our lives. We look up to you. We need you. We need you to show us the ways of God. It doesn't matter where you're at in that spectrum. You are important and God's purposes are real. Amen? So we're going to play a song that I just love. It's called The Blessing. And while we do that, we're going to have that time of prayer. So what I want us to do first is I want, I want you just with your grouplet, with your, your group, whoever you came with, whoever you're allowed to be with in this isolation time, the first thing I want you to do is just take a minute and stop. Close your eyes. We're going to pray. Jesus, Jesus, you're a father to all nations. You're a father to all nations. What does that mean for us? Is there anybody here that, as we're praying, listen to the Holy Spirit. But as we're praying, maybe you, maybe he's not your father. Maybe you're here and you wish that what I was talking about was real in your life. Maybe you're watching at home and you wish that your soul was restored. You don't have to wish. God can do it. And if that's you today, if you need to accept Christ and become his disciple and allow his power to move through your soul and make you whole, he can do it. So right where you are, no questions asked. I want to invite you to surrender your life to the Lord if you want to do that. And I'm going to just lead you in a quick prayer if that's you. Maybe you're at home sitting on the couch drinking a cup of coffee and watching this. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus and have him make your soul whole, let's pray for that. Just repeat with me. Just silently, right where you are. Just nice and soft. doesn't have to be loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being a God who makes my soul complete. Forgive me of my sins. Make me right with you. In Jesus' name. Maybe you've been somebody that just need, you just need God's loving mercy to wash over you. 
right there, just receive it. Just receive it. Maybe you need to be a person of mercy. If that's you, right where you are, just in your own prayer time with your own little team, just pray for each other. Just ask Jesus right now, in this few moments, Jesus, give me mercy. Jesus, help me to be merciful. God, forgive me for all the complaining and bad-mouthing I did because I wasn't merciful. All the frustrations that I held, all the words that I spoke that were in anger when they should have been tender. Wash that away in Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe there's one more prayer we're going to have. Maybe you need a time of prayer to hear God's voice. Maybe you've been wondering, God, my family, we're doing good. We love you, but I wish there was more that we could do. But now's a great time to do that. We've cleared the air spiritually through the first two moments of prayer. Can you just take a second and listen? I'm going to be quiet and give you a minute to just hear God's voice. And ask him, what is your, what is your direction for my family in the short term in the long term. Let's just take a minute and listen. Here's a couple things. Number one, if you wanted to receive Christ today, there's going to be a number up on the screen. If you prayed for forgiveness, if you prayed that God would come into your life and restore your soul and you've never done that before, or even if you have done it before, the number up on the screen is there because I want you to text into that number and somebody's going to call you in the next 24 to 48 hours just to follow up with you. Number one, that makes, gives you an opportunity to put some action behind that prayer. And number two, it gets you an opportunity to be plugged into church here. And now we're going to sing this, this song called The Blessing. And it talks about a blessing of God going from, from the children of the, of the people of God to their children and their children and their children. You see, the attributes of God the Father can be alive and active in our life and they can affect generations around us and we can see souls restored for generations. Amen? So let's stand and have a time of worship.
and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may this favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand direction. May, our, may we rise up to do your purposes, oh God. And we know that your purpose, as we talked about last week, is to love those around us. We love you, Jesus. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.